From Impact Fashion, it's Be Impactful, a show about the women making a difference in their own corners of the world. I'm Rifki Itzkowitz, and on today's show, I talk with a passionate observant woman about why she's so real, why feminism is important to her, how she's willing to take one for the team, and the one question she will never forgive you for asking. Hadassah Cowland-Goldberg is a plethora of seeming contradictions. She's at once both Israeli, American, and quite British. She's a beloved figure on Instagram and yet very relatable. Most people know her as the real Hadassah, a woman who stands up for what she thinks is right and isn't shy about making her voice heard. This question is one of the biggest challenges I've, I've had um, is what do I do? Because I think we always think we have to be doing one thing in life, um, like we have a job and that's pretty much what we do. And for me, I've always like, I've always wanted to do a bunch of different things. I've always been intrigued by a bunch of different things. And earlier this year, I realized that it's okay for me to just do a bunch of different things. Like that's just okay. I don't have to um, be doing one thing and that's it. And so I do a whole, a whole lot of things and it's something I used to be embarrassed of, you know, it's something that I'm really proud of. So I'm, I like to call myself a creative because that's pretty much what I do for a living and to keep myself happy. Um, anything from like graphic design, videography, photography, um, social media, that sort of um, thing. Just like anything that's creative is pretty much um, what I do. And thank God I've been able to make a professional career from it. Um, and that's really fun. And yeah, that's pretty much what I do. I got a degree in psychology, but uh, it was just a really beautiful degree and a beautiful way to like learn about the world, but it's not something I use in my professional life. Um, and now I pretty much do like marketing and social media and photography management sort of thing. That sounds like such a freeing way to be like, not like to consciously not be tied down to a specific job or a specific thing. And to just say like, I'm a creative person. And if you need me to do a video, I'll do that. If you need me to take a picture, I'll do that. If you need me to run your social media, I'll do that. Like to, to have that freedom to constantly be doing different projects sounds really appealing to me as a creative person. (laughs) For the long, for the longest time, I felt guilty. I'm like, so what am I going to do? Is it going to be photography? Ah, is it going to be videography? Ah, is it going to be social media management? I couldn't see myself doing any of those things like full time at all times. I wanted to do a little bit of both. And when I finally just accepted the fact that there's not going to be one track path that I'm going to do, oh, so liberating. <laughs> it was yeah. It was yeah, so- that's it sounds really freeing and so like when you approach a client or when someone comes to you like do you just be like hi can I help you out with your social media by the way I can also take the photos and videos or like how um, do you approach it that way well I pretty much always try to find out what the person wants and what the person needs and then figure out if that's something I could do um if the person if the person like needs photography done, but it's like high level commercial, then I'll be like, Hey, I can find you a great photographer that can do that. Um, you know what I mean? Like, I'll just figure out what it is that, um, that my clients, my clients need. I'll figure out if it works for my schedule. I figure I figure out if this like a project that like I want to do that I'm interested in. The truth is a social media management. It's like very annoying because it's hard to find like a full-time position because everybody just wants like a few um, hours a week. So you can be sort of like, um juggling like a bunch of different jobs um but it's fun I think it just like keeps on moving it's fast paced it's interesting it's cool um 
and yeah, right now I'm working for a company like in the north of Israel, helping them develop like their marketing tactic. I'm building their website and doing all sorts of things that I just figured out how to do. And now I do them and that's pretty much it. That is super similar to kind of what I needed to figure out how to do because when I started my company, it was like, well, I know how to do clothes. I know how to do the thing that the company will do like full time, but you also need to, you need a website and you need, and someone needs to manage that website. And you need, uh, like you said, like a social media and figuring out photos and videos and, and all of those things. I, I could have used you a couple of years ago. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> it would have been really helpful. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and we met actually through social media, we met um, yeah. through Instagram where you are the real Hadassah and your page is really interesting because it's not, like my page is a fashion page, right? You come to my page when you want to see great clothes. I come to your page when I want to just like see real life. It's not like you have a specific agenda, I guess you could say. Like you're not a food blogger or a fashion blogger or a mommy blogger. Like you're not any of those things. You kind of just are you and yeah. and, and, and all of that that comes with it. Your daughter Haleli shows up very often. She's freaking adorable and I have her hair her like crazy curly hair that's my hair because she yeah. has my hair. yeah Jeez. we have we have the same hair um all under wigs now but yes that's uh -huh. um yeah so how did the real Hadassah come to be what made you decide to start the page okay so it's actually really funny for the longest time I was the other Hadassah and then I met my husband and all of his his family and he has a sister called Hadassah as well and I'm actually really excited for me to tell the story because I feel like I owe it to the world um and I we got married and it was all good it's like yeah I'm the real Hadassah you're just the other Hadassah because on Instagram I went as the other Hadassah and then one day I was like, no, 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 I'm, I'm the real Hadassah. And I just changed my name as like over like dinner one time in the sukkah. I mean, like you see now I'm the real Hadassah and you're not real. And it's really funny because a very long time, people, it's like, it happened like years ago. Um, and for the longest time, people are people are like, oh my God, you're so real. And I'm like, am I? Like it's social media. How real can you actually be? And I'm like, oh, they think I'm like marketing myself as real because I called myself the real Hadassah, but really I'm just trying to beat my sister-in-law in like a self-confidence <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, because calling yourself the real anything <laughs> is like a thing. It's a thing that a lot of people do. They, they Donald do. Trump totally copied me on that. Yes, completely. Funny. He yeah. took it from you, of course. Oh my God, that that's pretty great, actually. Yeah. That's pretty so, funny. So I always was like quite good at Instagram. I think I'm just like, I don't know, maybe being a creative, like from, from like my account started out when I was like 15 or 16 years old. I remember like traveling with my dad. We were in Thailand and he showed me this app and I just like, I thought it was the most amazing thing ever. Like, I just remember being very taken by it at a young age, the capability to like post the pictures and then being able to keep all the good pictures in one place. Like it was very different. Like I'm talking like close to 10 years ago. Like it was very different back then than what it is today. Um, but I remember just always liking it and always thinking it was very, very cool. Um, and it opens my own stupid teenage account and it, that's what it was. And um, I think I was just always good at like taking pictures and expressing them and that was sort of it um and then i got married i moved to ganyavne i moved to this like yeshiva campus and there weren't a lot of females around and i realized like the instagram from like the religious community on instagram was sort of growing a bit and i realized i was turning to instagram for female and energy and i really liked that like i wasn't able to like just my friends like weren't sending me any pictures because like our female 
community like wasn't really growing there were no like women around here um and there just was like no one to like hang out with and chit chat about and there was just like I was just very male surrounded by a lot of males living on campus and so Instagram just became like a place for me to just take in beautiful female energy and I loved it I really really loved it um and then a f I think like I think it must have been a year or two ago I just got a bit fed up with how fake the whole like the whole influencer blogger scene was I felt like I'm sorry like again I, I hope I don't tell anyone like it wasn't personal. It was also like a lot of non-Jewish accounts that brought me to this conclusion, not just like the from community, the religious community on Instagram. Um, but I just felt that like no one was actually saying it as it was. Do you know what I mean? I know like, exactly what you mean. And I don't think that you need to apologize for that. It was really but annoying, especially as like an Israeli woman on like a cute student salary, like young family to see people constantly like, oh my gosh, do you love this new shaitel? And I'm like, if I want a new shade, so I'm going to have to save up for like seven months right now. You know what I mean? Right. And like constantly receiving products and pretending that they were like, I, I know bloggers are way more ethical nowadays. And you say if it's gifted or if it's sponsored, like it's changed. But back then, two years ago, you were just constantly seeing things that other people were having and you just, it was frustrating. And it wasn't frustrating me because I was jealous or anything. I was frustrated because it wasn't the real portrayal of life. Do you know what I mean? I don't right. mind someone who, who who travels all the time who posts pictures of their traveling it's beautiful you get inspired it's amazing but it was the whole pretending that this fake game was real that I think was very confusing for a lot of people and Back I think at the it's time, really hard for people to separate yeah. that it's not real it's very difficult listen like think of your best friend that you have like my core group of friends that I have right now the main way that we keep in touch is through a group chat um there's four of us on it and we text each other just stupid things <laughs> whatever is through our brain you know what should I make for supper everything from what should I make to from supper tonight to um you know my friends being like look what my baby did to oh my god you're not gonna believe the most embarrassing thing that happened at work and the medium of communication for that is a text and the medium of communication on social media with someone who you don't know is a text it feels just as intimate it feels just as personal um, and it can become really difficult for some people to separate the two. It can become really difficult for someone to recognize that, yes, you're seeing me every day, but I have no idea who you are. I don't know really anything about your life beyond what you choose to tell me. Um, and that becomes, it can become really, really difficult for people to separate. Yeah, I remember at some point I told Daniel, I'm like, oh my God, yeah, my friend just went to that restaurant. He's talking about a restaurant in Jerusalem and he said which friend and I thought about it and I realized that it was like a food blogger that I follow um and we've actually become friends at this point thank god it was Danielle Renov and in my head I'm like oh yeah she went to that restaurant she thought it was amazing it must be a lovely restaurant and I remember being like yeah my friend's one and he's like you're she's not your friend I'm like I guess you're right like she's not my so. friend she's just yeah. a woman that I see every single day that I talk to <laughs> do yeah. you know what I mean like in my head like I just see the whole thing maybe uh, like yeah exactly I just remember being like oh my god that's right she's not my friend. hold on but it but like weird realization yeah but also I think that it creates this new category of friends like there are people who I know like I would consider like we are friends we text often we uh, we've never met in person um but I know what you look like I know what your husband looks like I know you know I know what you do you know what I do like we I would consider us friends I think that's different from like a casual follower 
because like we each have thousands of followers and those are people who if I met them in the street I would not know them Uh And, and maybe it's also just because we both publicly post our picture right but they also know a lot about you and that can sometimes be like creepy like I realized like one, t- one thing that makes a story good, in my opinion, is when you pretend that you're not talking to thousands of people. You're just sharing what happened to you. You know what I mean? Like, I, right. I don't, I don't, I, I really try to never be like, hey, guys, like, I don't really talk to, to my crowd. I just talk to my camera. You know what I mean? And then, like, yeah. I'll post it. Um, and, and I think it's, and I think it's, yeah, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a crazy, crazy thing that, like, people have, really have a window. It's, it's an immense power. Um, I even realized, like, if you ever post something that's slightly negative, like, people really tap into it. You can really affect someone's, someone's mood if you're, like, not careful. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's, right. it's such a crazy thing. And what I love about it the most is that I didn't expect this. I didn't see this coming. This sort of just, like, happened. Um, right. We could talk about how it happened. Like, we were, we, I was saying how, um, how at first I just started sharing my thoughts. And what I said is that, like, I think the first post I felt I was being a blogger and it wasn't like got like a lot of hits was how I said that modesty is sometimes expensive and it's annoying that it's expensive, but you have to invest in feeling beautiful when you're a tanua. And I just felt like that was the first time I had seen just like reading my own post, like that I, that, that I had seen like someone saying like, yeah, modesty is expensive, but sometimes you just got to do it instead of being like, Oh my God, you love this other dress that someone just shipped to me that costs a good few hundred dollars that you probably wouldn't be able to afford. Like I felt like someone was just talking about modesty on like a real level. Um, and that went like, people love that. And that like went really far. And, and I accumulated like a few followers and that, but like my goal was never to like get followers. You know what I mean? My goal was just to like, actually, I always say like, I want to, I want to be what normal is on Instagram. Like I remember someone telling me how like she loves following people who their lives are like so crazy and glamorous that like, it's just unreal. You know what I mean? Like that's intriguing right. to her. It's a I fantasy. think that's normal. I've always been fascinated by normal. I've always been fascinated by normal. Even when I studied psychology, I was never interested in like the abnormalities in psychology. I never wanted to, I, I was always fascinated by like normal people, day-to-day lives, like just us, like that always fascinated me which is probably why I didn't like continue my master's because there aren't really masters for anything that's abnormal in Israel um but like right. yeah I always you know, it's just the it's just the craziest it's just the most interesting <laughs> right you know it's, you're you're really true I want to backtrack a tiny bit because you mentioned yeah. that you were in Thailand with your father yeah did you travel a lot as a kid like where, uh, where are you originally from first of all I'm assuming England, just based on your accent older as a child like my childhood okay fine oh yeah okay hold on what were you like as a kid go (laughs) okay so it's really I think it's very fascinating actually I grew up in London and England my parents were a powerhouse cure of couple um they were quite they they were quite famous like back then they are can you explain what a cure of couple does for someone who might not know cure of couple is pretty much um it's two people who are who their goal is to just ignite Jewish pride um, and to be a source of Judaism for those who weren't raised with it and don't know anything about it. That's really what we did. Um, so we had like an open house, our shul, our synagogue, like at the end of every, at the end of every like a uh, congregation, like, no, that's not the right word for that. The end of every, how do I say minion? <laughs> Help. Um, how do you say minion? Um, the end I'm of not, every like prayer service. Prayers, the, right. Yeah. Prayer. It's really interesting because I try to keep this in English so that anyone can follow. Um, and at the same time, there are some words that are just really hard to translate. And I know that Minion has a translation and I'm really not sure what it is. Um, okay. But yes, at the end of, of every prayer or session. Service, whatever. So basically, if anyone who went to 
like HUK in Hendon, um, they probably like know what I'm talking about. One of the rabbis would get up at the end of the prayers and be like, does anybody need a place to come for Shabbat? Does anybody want to experience a Shabbat meal? Um, and they were um, coming to the synagogue and it was just lovely. It was such a wonderful childhood. I can't begin to tell you. People have often asked like, was it not hard growing up with a ton of people? No, it was beautiful. It was amazing. It was so much fun. Um, it, it was fantastic. I loved it. We really loved it. All, all my siblings loved it. Um, and then um, Rav Noach, who's my dad's rabbi, um, at the time wanted my father to move to Israel. My father was very excited to have the opportunity to learn with, with Rav Noach, which he did every day for those five years when we first moved to Israel. Um, and we moved to Israel on a continuing our journey as like trying to spread Jewish light, which my parents have done wonderfully. And I went from this like English little girl to like hardcore Israeli. I moved when I was eight years old. Um, and I think that was, I think I still have like a lot of English parts to me, but also like a lot of like Israeli, I'm, I feel like I'm more American than I am British um, because those are just like the people I grew up around um, in the communities we lived in in Jerusalem. Um, as a kid, uh, I don't know, I think I was nice. Like, okay. <laughs> I was, I had How friends. did you, what was the transition like? Because eight is, eight is a really tough age. You were in what, like in America, that would be like second third, or third grade. I was going into third grade. Um, so yeah. I, it was really hard for me because I was very scared of Israel. It was right after the Intifada. I was old enough to understand that Israel was a bit of an unsafe place. I was old enough to understand that there were news. There were a lot of bombings the year before. Um, so I was actually very, very scared to move to Israel, even though we loved Israel. And I'd spent a lot of my childhood traveling to Israel with these trips of um, young Jewish like professionals who wanted to learn more about Israel. I'd spent a lot of time there. I liked there, but I was, I honestly, I was very scared of moving. Um, and I think that's part, that's something that I had to decide. Actually, I decided this year, uh, funnily enough, I feel like I, I didn't, I think a lot of children who make Aliyah have this experience. They don't know if they've chosen to be Israeli and to live here or not. Um, now it's funny because I wouldn't, I didn't choose to be a British child either. Do you know what I mean? Right. Um, but I think, it's, I think it's a hard thing because I was definitely old enough to feel that this was something that was happening. I didn't, I didn't know how I felt about it back then. Um, my parents were amazing regarding the transition and helping us learn Hebrew. We went back to England very, very often. If we ever needed an off day, we had an off day. We didn't have to do homework or tests for the first year and a half. Like it was amazing. It was very, very easy. It was very beautiful. Um, but I think deep down psychologically like I was a little like resentful to be in Israel um, and I just want to say to anyone who has a child who's like nervous about moving to Israel doesn't want to be to be in Israel like I think as a family you have to make the decision that's right for you as your family and as a parent you own the right to that decision and just know that like your your kids will figure it out as they get older you know what I mean whether they decide that they want to move back whether they decide that they want to live here children are they're very complicated beings I think we often as children don't even know how to process what it is that we're going through and I don't think a parent should ever feel guilt for doing what they believe was right for their family even if quote unquote their eight-year-old wasn't happy about the move you know what I mean right. um, I really believe in that and I've and we've and we've had this discussion with me and my parents and it's it's been beautiful it, it's fine you know what I mean like it's good but that was part of when I married Danielle who's like a total Zionist I was very relieved to be marrying someone who I knew would want to make a life here um, because I know that Israel is the truth for me I know that Israel is the truth for the continuation of the Jewish people um, and I was happy to be I was very happy to discover that my other half um, was definitely going to be here. And that sort of helped me um, adjust to sort of like being here fully. Yeah, it sounds like it's always easier when 
you're when there's something that you're not 100% sure about even if you're 99.9% sure about if the, if the other person in your life if your spouse is even a tiny bit short then you feed off of each other's energy and that exactly. and that helps and it sounds like Danielle is way more than a tiny bit short and yeah, and that and that helps um you live in an area called Ganyavne which yes. is in the south of Israel um and you live on a yeshiva campus you are what's called an aim by it basically a dorm mother um yes. and you you take care of the guys and you're always showing that like you make so much soup these oh giant pots of soup oh that like I, I want some if you could make some get to New York and still be warm I'm okay with that um and and your house is really it's still the same kind of open house that you had as a kid it's just you have it to live on the campus with these guys that you help to take care of and that's I think a really cool and and just really special thing that you have thank you which it, it's awesome it's really fun to see also and I love how they take care of Haloli oh my god they're so they're adorable and what yeah. we do that um so yeah Danielle was in a yeshiva program here like um that I felt was very interesting due to my like upbringing my religious upbringing it was a yeshiva which is like a a, a post high school program where guys can come and they can learn um Gemara and all of those all of those wonderful subjects but it was a yeshiva that was created to help boys who politically usually wouldn't go to the army for religious reasons um we get them into the army um, and we teach them it, it, it's sort of hard to describe to a person who doesn't believe in Israel because it's a niche of like the orthodox community here um that we're helping but we're helping we're pretty much helping guys who wouldn't have the chance to get an education or serve in the Israeli military who want to we're sort of helping them do that um, without compromising on like their religious standards um, or anything like that. So we're really, really proud to be here because we really, I mean, we know that this yeshiva is like changing the reality um, here in Israel. Um, and that's super really important. It's super important. And, it, and you're right. It is really hard to describe um, for someone who might not realize, but um, not everyone who lives in Israel, not all Israelis are necessarily religious. Um, and, um, and in Israel, there is a mandatory draft, um, that, you know, all, I think it's at 18, the guys go to the military. Um, and it is, and the, and people who are extremely religious will usually get an exemption, um, because the, um, because the army is not necessarily the best place if you want to continue in a religious way, but it can be. It really can be, and they make tons of accommodations, and there are, and there are places like where you are um, that are working to bridge that gap and just make there be a lot more unity among is- the different like sects of Israeli society. Which Israeli politics are could we could have a whole nother discussion yeah. on that, and it's it's complicated. Um, I just really think it's important to be just in general, just to be understanding someone who's a little bit different than you are, and the work you and your husband are doing is very cool. Um, I want to touch on something that you speak about pretty often, and mm-hmm. that is that you openly call yourself a feminist. Yes. Now, <laughs> yes. I, this, is, this, is, this is something that is always so interesting to me because calling yourself a feminist, particularly among Orthodox Jewish groups, but I really think among most religious groups is very, it's tricky because the thing, that word is so loaded and it conjures up so many different feelings for so many different people. Um, 
and it you know like when I say that you know oh she's a feminist some people are probably picturing you like burning your bra not shaving your legs and that's not that's not necessarily that's not what you mean that's not what you're talking about and you get a lot of pushback for calling yourself a feminist it's something that people don't appreciate yeah what do you what do you mean by that you say that you're a from feminist from like from being a religious orthodox woman who is a feminist go talk me through it all right let's talk you through it so first of all um i think there there's this concept in the world which which we like to call in our family a big word you know what I mean? If someone yes. two can be in a car accident, right? One person can get whiplash. One person can lose their entire family and the car can get like ridden off. It's a big word, a car crash. It can mean different things to different people. It, it, it is the same experience, but it can have um, a massively different toll um, on people. And I think things like orthodoxy, Judaism, being Zionist, being a feminist, these are all very big words. They can mean something completely different for other people. And I think it's really, really important just to recognize that. Like, I also think that the loudest person yelling is often the people we hear the most. Um, but I sometimes ask like people who bash me about being a feminist, I'm like, are you an Ature Karta, which is an extreme sect of Judaism? And they're always like, no, they're crazy, right? Like, no, I'm not like right. that. And I don't mean to be uh, hating any Jews, um, but they, they are a very, very small percentage and a very um, dramatic. Um, they're extreme. I they're think very, it's, safe, they're it's safe to say that, they're, that that's a very extreme sect of Judaism. They, 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 they want to like contribute to like, whatever. It's just not what I think God had in mind for Judaism, but whatever. So they're always like, no, of course I'm not. I'm like, but you're Orthodox and they're orthodox, and they're like, no, it's not the same thing. So I think it's very, very important to understand that in feminism, there are different sects, there are different types of feminists, there are different people who take it the whole way. In general, I believe that a human being, no matter their gender, should be, um, should have the opportunity to, to eat, should be, should have access to equal opportunity regarding of their gender. Um, and how uh, radical I, of you. How crazy. <laughs> I know. It's so funny because people are always like, oh yeah, you're a feminist? Like, explain that to me. And I'm like, careful, because I'm going to turn you into one. Because what <laughs> you actually agree with. It's just people don't word it. And I think that when we don't word it and we don't think of it, it doesn't become a concept that we ever play with. And it's one that can lead to like immense growth in ourselves as like young women and ourselves as a community. Um, but I just, I, I always tell the guys when we have this conversation, because the truth is living in yeshiva is what has made me quite a bit of a feminist. Um, they're always like, but men are different than women, right? We're different than you guys. And anyone who says we're not different is an idiot. And I say, I know we're different. You and I, men and women, we're different, but neither is better than the other. A man is not better because they can run faster. A woman is not better because she can birth a baby. We are not better than each other. We are different. And that is what feminism means to me. I don't come and say, there is no gender. I don't come, even though if there's someone who feels like they haven't figured out their gender, like, I wish you so much, like it is a complicated, tough journey. One that I don't believe is so healthy for human beings to embark on. I think it can be very, very confusing um, because it just leads to a lot of like, like a lot of uncertainties. Um, but I'm not, I'm not saying that like there is no such thing as being confused about your gender. I just think that gender is a real thing. Even the, the mere fact that someone can be confused about the gender comes to show that there's realness to it. Um, and I think that men and women are totally different, but one is not better than the other. And I think that often in a religious community, what has somewhat enraged me is because women have a lot of halakhot and a lot of laws about like not being heard when it comes to singing and not being seen and modesty that often women are sort of treated like 
a little bit like garbage. And I think any woman who's been on like a bus in Israel where she has to get on the bus, on the bus at the back of the bus knows what I mean. Even the fact like we would feel totally uncomfortable like making a, making the blessing of um, Hagom, um, whatchamacallit, the blessing of make after birth. Like we feel uncomfortable making it in a shul. The fact that women feel so in place in shul. Like I think women believe in Judaism that they can't be feminists because Judaism is chauvinist. And I don't think Judaism is chauvinist. I think Judaism has different roles for us. Judaism trusts us to, to, to create like phenomenal kosher kitchens to feed to feed people. They trust us with taharata mishpacha. We're trusted with a lot of laws. We're clearly very, very intelligent people. Um, we're clearly very doable. It's not that the woman's place is in the kitchen and therefore she's allowed to do the halacha. I think men sort of, I think men in the past, rabbis in the past, whatever we want to call it, have sort of move the, the 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 job of the woman and now that women are sort of being heard and being spoken about and even just with instagram like the pl- i remember like for a woman in order in order for a woman to share her expression like to share what she had to say it had to go to like an article the editor had to read it it had to be submitted was she a rabbitson are we going to post this or not like there's just a lot of like women just weren't able to express their, their them, themselves you know what i mean and now i think that's changed and it's so amazing um and i personally looked to feminism and to like mediocre sort of feminism like medium level feminism to sort of feel guided in that process how do i figure this out now that i actually can share my voice um i know there's many communities where the women can say whatever it is that they need to say um and it's not for me it's not about like getting up and lifting up the torah and shul because i want to be there it's about it's about i don't lift the torah up because of gufnaki and because of my my job not because i'm not good enough because a woman is dirty or or anything like that i think it's about a woman knowing her worth knowing that she is powerful knowing that the there are differences between her and men but one is not better than the other um knowing that as women we are we are really strong we are really capable we can really do whatever it is that we want to do um and to know that there that that this is a new right that we have as females this is a lucky thing that we have and to be grateful for that i think people are like oh feminists are so annoying they make so much noise they they talk so much and i'm like but a hundred years ago we weren't in this place we're not safe yet you know what i mean women have been mistreated for years we are not out of the woods we will keep on yelling and if there's ever anything that you have an quote-unquote issue with with feminism like people always say like not wearing a bra or or like not shaving your legs. Like if you go back and you try to understand the the, the court cases that led women to that reaction, I think I think you'd feel com- maybe compelled to do the same. Um, the reason women don't wear bras sometimes, woman who got great judge said that like the guy, it's not his fault because she wasn't dressed appropriately. So the woman went outside and they took off their shirts and they said, it doesn't matter what I'm wearing, what I'm not wearing, you cannot rape me. Um, and I feel passionately about that now. No, I would never, I would never join that. I don't think that's the right thing. It's upsetting to me that women are remembered for not wearing bras and not, they didn't let men touch them and men were doing things that were wrong. And you know what? Forget men. It's not just men. When someone was being unright to a woman, these women stood up to them. That's what they should be remembered for. Not like, oh, they're so crazy. They didn't wear their shirts. Like, oh, that's not the point. The point here is that women all over the world, um, unfortunately, get hurt for their beauty. And that's something we want to stop. And you can think that it's radical, but if you look into the history, it wasn't that long ago where we had no place, we had no right, we had no right to education, we had no right to get into colleges, we had no right to vote. This is all very, very new. And if we do not stay with our hands on the pulse, as we say in Hebrew, things might start changing and that's not what we want. You know what I mean? We want women to be able to to be as themselves as they should be. 
I think it's important to note that just it's like you said I, I love that concept of a big word right there's it's like feminism could mean so many different things to so many different people and I think that just in general it's important to be like if if someone says something you don't like if you like personally when I hear that someone says that they're a feminist I'm like high five sister I let's I love that right um, but if you're someone who has a negative reaction to that then take yeah. a half a beat to just say what do you mean by that what do you what does that mean what does that mean to you what is that something that you know what is what does that look like practically um yeah and i think that that's also just a good life skill that can help us understand each other a little bit better i want to touch into one more thing that made me wasn't that it made me a feminist but it made me a defender of feminism when the me too movement started i remember a lot of a lot of men and a lot of religious women as well um saying things like oh my god calm down blah 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 but as a person who has ptsd who has been through what most women have been through unfortunately at a younger age um some sort of trauma that involves being being having the right to say me too let's just put it like that i cried when i saw how many other women had been through what i had been through because i had felt very very much alone um, and I thought that there was something wrong with me and that there was something, maybe I was not okay. I blamed myself for, for, for what had happened. Um, and the truth is I didn't have to, the person did a terrible, bad thing that he shouldn't have done. Um, and thank God the concept, I, I it turns out I'm a fighter psychologically. So I broke the man's nose and he ran away and I, I was safe, but I was still traumatized. Um, and I remember when the Me Too movement stand out, I, I think what, what, what began to, to to sort of to grow in me was the sense of like when people were getting upset because the me too movement is so annoying like we get it but for me watching a rabbitson that i know write me too on her facebook status watch my aunt say me too watch people that just so many women there were 13 million women who wrote like within 24 hours so many women had felt that they had been hurt enough that they were willing to stand up and say me too i just felt so loved and so and so um supported and then I realized that like I hope Halilee never has to say that it, it's what Oprah said in her speech it, it's not a joke we don't want our daughters to go through this garbage we don't want them to have to deal with this wreckage and that's why we're putting in the laws and that's why we're standing up for ourselves and that's why we're knowing our worth so our daughters don't have to say me too so when people sort of like to mock me too because it's annoying I literally just ask them to please be quiet because you have no right. I'm sorry that you're annoyed by the fact that somebody got sexually assaulted. I'm sorry that's annoying for you to hear. Are you done being ignorant? Are we done now? Can we move on? Um, so that to me was a big one. And don't get a move. Don't don't get annoyed by these movements. Try to understand them, and then either agree or disagree with them. But getting annoyed is usually something that like someone who just doesn't understand the situation does. So yeah, that 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 that's my piece. <laughs> it's it's an act of ignorance. It's truly an act of ignorance to, you know, to say, this is, you know, why, why are you being yeah. so annoying? This doesn't happen. Don't talk about it. Well, obviously it does. So like, don't, yeah, it's, it's, it's just truly an act of ignorance. That's really, um, that's really all that it is. Now you, you talk about a lot of things. Um, feminism is one of them. One of the things that you also speak about, um, you know, you, you, you talk about feminism, you talk about life in Israel, you talk about um, living life, particularly in the area of Israel that you are, um, which um, does frequently turn um, into a war zone, for lack of a better word. Um, and you also talk a lot about 
um, about infertility. And you talk about, you basically have this very simple message, which I think is something, it's like, haven't we figured this out already? Um, but you think that it is never appropriate under yes. any circumstance to ask someone if they're pregnant. Why do you have such a, why are you such a radical person, Hadassah? <laughs> why is this so, why, why have you taken on such a, such a Because it's not an extreme point, point of view and I can, so I say it. Um, I just, <laughs> I would say I don't, I do not actually speak about infertility um, <laughs> on my page. I speak about not asking women whether they are pregnant or not. Um, <clears throat> and, and, and that's, and that's that. Um, I think that if a woman is pregnant, you deserve to know, aka you are a sister, you are a mother, you are a grandmother. Well, first of all, in those situations, it might actually be appropriate to just ask if you, if you want to know, but they will tell you. And if it's none of your business, and it would be weird if they told you so early on, etc., then don't ask. It's this thing that we expect. I think that like as human beings, we have like this craving to know whether another woman is pregnant. And it's very interesting because you'll spend like, let's say you go to a wedding and you see a friend of ours you haven't seen her in a few months. And you're like, oh my God, is she pregnant? She's not pregnant. She's pregnant. She's not. You'll obsess over whether this woman is pregnant or not. And then when she'll come tell you that she either is or isn't, you all of a sudden will not care. Just like that. We all do that, right? <laughs> oh, they're pregnant. Okay, whatever. But you... It's so I'm true. Like analyzing this woman's dress okay, and the way she's walking. Did she or, drink? Okay, whatever. Oh, but hold on. Is her husband here? Maybe he's driving. He's not driving. We analyze the whole thing. And then as soon as we know, we don't care. We actually don't care. Um, and I think that for a woman who isn't, who, who, who is pregnant or isn't pregnant, it's just not nice to be asked. It's truly not nice because it first of all means that people are actually watching. And any insecurity you may have of like, are people expecting me to be pregnant or not? It, it, it gets it gets authorized that it's true like yeah it's it's true we are wondering if you're pregnant darling we're all noticing and we all would like to know um it's not nice um and i think the main point is that it can be a really painful thing to ask a human being because you know how sometimes like someone will meet you and they're like oh my god you're gorgeous and the person's like i just don't know how to react to that question what do i say thank you so much or yes i know or think though how do you react to that question so if someone asks you if you're pregnant and, and you're actually it's about time you're like five months you're ready to tell them you can say yes i'm pregnant fine if you're not pregnant how do i react to that question so my i like to make people feel immensely uncomfortable when they ask me <clears throat> that's what i do i think it works i think if you're gonna what's your answer so i'll say things like no i'm not do i look that fat that you assume that i'm pregnant and i smile and then they're like they're <gasps> horrified because i'm the one or, or <clears throat> oh my God, one thing I did amazing. one time is that like, no, actually something just happened and it's been a really hard week and, and I walk away and they're like, oh my God. And they feel, awful. and you know what? They never ask anyone again oh. and they never ask anyone again. That's the main point. Or I'll be and like, oh my God, awful. I wish, I wish, I wish this is so hard. I'm sorry. I can't talk about this. And then I walk away and then they're like, oh my gosh, and they never ask anyone again. And I feel like it's my responsibility because I just, I have the guts. I don't mind making someone uncomfortable because I really feel it's like, why do I have to protect you? Like you just made, put me on the spot. You made me feel uncomfortable by asking the question. I don't have to protect you. It's like, well, I don't have to make you feel better. You're, you're good. I don't have to make, I don't have to make you're, this a more exactly. comfortable situation for yourself. Yeah, you, you, you created this awkward, and you know what, like, like um, unbelievably like, uncomfortable situation. Know, like like you are now going to sit in it. I will take the hit for us. 
I will, I will do it for us. If this woman doesn't ask a woman who's experiencing infertility, who just had another miscarriage, who doesn't understand what's going on, who isn't, who, it just, it's not happening. It's not happening for them. I will stand up for that woman. I will stand up for the woman who can't get pregnant right now because their marriage is just in the rocks and she doesn't know what's going to be. I'm going to stand up for that woman who's experiencing immense depression and it is unsafe for her and her child to have a baby. I will stand up for that woman who is nervous, who just got breast cancer and is keeping it private and cannot get pregnant right now because it is unsafe because her body cannot do it. I will stand up for those women because I'm one of them and we have to stand up for each other. And I like to say that like, we all think like if a person, a person is either pregnant or a person is either pregnant or not pregnant because God isn't letting them become pregnant or is not pregnant by choice. Like those, once a woman is married in the firm community, like those are three assumptions. And whether a woman is pregnant because, whether a woman isn't pregnant because her body isn't getting pregnant or whether a woman isn't pregnant because God has put her in a situation that is making her take a birth control pill every single morning night, whenever it is that she does it. Those are both as God given as each other. If God has put you in through a situation of like financial stress or one of the couples is experiencing a, 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 a mental unhealthness um, or you're feeling doubtful about your marriage or you're too exhausted to birth another child because the H, the HR that you had just killed you. You know what I mean? Those are as God given reasons. Hashem, like Hashem gave you those reasons and Hashem could have given you infertility or he could have given you one of those reasons. And if you are unpregnant, this is not your fault. This is not in your control. You know what I mean? Sometimes God will give us situations that we can't get pregnant in. And that is just as God given as unfortunately infertility is. It is. So if you're feeling guilty about the fact that you're not having pregnant because your neighbor across the street is beginning to notice that you're not bumpy yet, like whatever man, okay? Whatever. It is just as God given as anything else. You do you. When people ask like, oh, aren't you having a baby? I'm always like, are you gonna, like, are you, hold on, are you volunteering to come and like help us when I'm dying? Not even are you taking care of the child. Are you willing to pay out the, the, the money for a night nanny because I can't cope without sleep? Are you willing to cook us meals? Are you willing to be there for us? Are you? Because you're not. So if you're not, it's none of your business. Back off, please move out of my way. Yeah, no, you're 100% right. And I think it's so interesting because there is a very, I think that particularly in like in from life and religious life, there's a very specific timeline. Um, you know, it's you, you go to school, you graduate high school, you do your gap year in Israel, you go to college, you're there for maybe like, I don't know, depending on your program, two to four to 10 years, depending on what you're going for. Some point in at that, in that area, you find a husband, um, you know, you're married by the time you're 25, let's say, um, and you've got two kids by the time you're 30 at the barest minimum. And that's a super specific timeline that I think we subconsciously subscribe to um even if we consciously can say like but wait I want to finish school before I get married or I want to finish school before I get pregnant or I want to finish school before I start dating because I don't have patience to you know to deal with the drama that is dating or whatever it is and if you deviate from that timeline for whatever reason either listen I know plenty of people who date and date and date and date and date and and they're 35 and single, or they're 45 and single, or whatever it is. Um, if you deviate for whatever reason through your own choice or through circumstances that are beyond your control, it immediately makes people suspicious. Like, why are you doing this wrong? Why are you being, why are you, we, we all did it. 
you know, we, I was, I had, th- I had three kids by the time I was 28. You know, I'm, you know, I'm all, I, I followed this script. Why aren't you following it? And I think that that also comes from a place mm-hmm. of yeah. not everyone who followed that script really wanted to follow that script. You know, not everyone who, I know plenty of people, I can think of like three off the top of my head right now, who had two kids within the first three years of their marriage and it was too much it was overwhelming to them it was it made it really difficult to adjust into their marriage because they basically didn't have a space like one of someone who I know told me she was like I got pregnant about uh she said like two weeks after she got married my husband does not know me in a non-hormonal state he literally he he literally doesn't she's like he doesn't know me as a sane human being um and she happened to have had really difficult pregnancies. Um, but that's something that can be really, it, it immediately makes us, because there is such a specific timeline, we feel like we know what everyone else should be doing. And therefore it's like, it's why, why are you not following the script? What's like, what's wrong? And I don't think people mean to pry. I think when someone finds out that you are pregnant, they are so happy for you. They're generally excited for you. It, it's beautiful. It's great. It's wonderful. But I just like, I really just like don't ask someone if they're pregnant. If you need to know, you will know. Even if it takes five months, you will find out. And if they're not pregnant, then what are you asking? They're not pregnant. Like whatever. It's all good. Just if you're actually, if you're truly a friend, it's you don't actually care about their business. Do you know what I mean? If you're truly a friend, you care that your friend is doing well, that your friend is coping. If you're suspicious that your friend right. might be pregnant, you want to know if you can help her, offer to help her because if she's not pregnant, she could probably use the help anyway. You know what I mean? Like it's just like, just stay back. People will tell you when they're ready. Also, like, also, like, what happens yes. if someone is pregnant, but it's been like a few weeks of them finding out that they're pregnant, and so they don't want to tell you, but they don't want to lie to you because they know in a month or two they're going to tell you. They haven't even told their parents yet because it hasn't even been ten weeks. Do you know what I mean? It's just like so, so. Right. You're putting no matter which way you slice it, if they are or if they aren't, you're putting them in an incredibly uncomfortable situation. Um, you're putting, you're putting them in an incredibly uncomfortable situation. And also you're putting yourself in an incredibly uncomfortable situation. You deserve it as the person asking, um, because keep your mouth shut. I think it's my responsibility Um, to tell people that by asking, I remember someone messaged me after I wrote this whole thing. She said, Oh my God, I feel so bad that I ever did it the way looking for a place. I said, listen, all you can do is never ask it again. And then you'll be okay. She was like, yeah, you're right. I'm just never going to ask anyone again. Like, I can't, can't make you feel better for, for being rude. It is rude. And if people don't know it's not rude because we haven't established that yet as a society, we have established it right now in this podcast situation. It's rude. Don't yes, ask someone exactly. ever. I think like the only person you can ask if they're pregnant is yourself when you go pee on a stick. Like that's the only time to find out oh, you're pregnant. Uh, th- that's it. Yeah. Yeah, that is the only time when you should be in a situation where there is someone important to you that you don't know you're pregnant. You should find that out. Husband or this person's gynecologist, you shouldn't ask. Ask yourself, am I a gynecologist right now? Yeah. Yes or no? No, don't ask. Am I this woman's husband? No, I'm not. Then don't ask. That's it. And if you're this (laughs) gynecologist, I'm laughing because it's so it's so simplistic. It's this so, person's gynecologist. Like this is not difficult. If you're this person's gyneco- gynecologist, but they're not sitting in your office at an appointment, don't ask. That as well. That's it. Very simple. Awesome. Questions to ask. There's a flow yeah. to this yeah, mental that's questioning. 
Yeah. It's, isn't it interesting how something so simple is like, I don't understand why people can't wrap their brains around this. I truly, truly don't understand. Now it's funny because I, I don't have children and people assume that I do. I think just because of my age and the fact that I'm married and Jewish and religious that people just like, they know you've been married for two years. You don't have kids. You, you must have kids. And then they just assume that I do. So I get into that awkward situation where, and I really should just start telling people I should, I should borrow (laughs) your lines. Um, But like for me, so like I, I one time scheduled a meeting with someone and she was someone, it was the first time that we were going to be meeting in person. It was like a blogger person that, um, I was going to, you know, be starting a professional relationship with. Um, and I, there was a specific like two days that my husband was traveling for work. So I said to her, I was like, you know, if you, um, if we can meet during those two days, that would actually be really convenient because my husband is away. And she responded, oh, but, oh, so your mom has the kids then <laughs> yeah. or something like that. And I was like, actually, no, I don't have those. So it would actually be really convenient. And she was, and, and of course she immediately felt really yeah. bad and, um, and was apologizing and all of that. I don't think, I don't falter for making that assumption. I think that it's possible. Like people, I mean, if it ever comes up that I just tell people like, no, I I don't have children. Um, The weird part is what happens immediately afterwards where it's like the (laughs) the awkward face, the like pitying stare, the um, like around, around Rosh Hashanah time. I had a lot of people like wish babies upon me. And that was where I felt like that was really inappropriate. Um, you know, whether I am or I'm not dealing with infertility mm-hmm. is irrelevant to the fact that it's business. none of your business. And yeah, and I just found like that reaction to be like, soon, honey, soon this. And I, and in my brain, I'm thinking, if this is something that I'm dealing with, then you just made it 10 times worse. And this if it's something that I'm more- not dealing with, you <laughs> are an idiot. Yeah, like then you are just an idiot. Then you're just a moron who is like digging yourself deeper into a hole that you are you right. are already neck deep I also think in. we like we were we um, demand people to be very sensitive like that's sort of like I think it's interesting on Instagram I realized like someone who's good at Instagram like highlights points of sensitivity do you know what I mean like it's Christmas coming around and for some of us going home for our families is really stressful do you know what I mean it's always about like highlighting the sensitivity don't mean to be mocking yeah. don't mean to be making fun of um but I also think that it's like it's okay. We don't always have to be like super hyper duper sensitive. It just, it is what it is. I don't need any sensitivity. I'm not asking for sensitivity. And people like someone one time asked me if she can pray for me. And I'm like, if I ever get really sick and I need people to pray for me, you can count on it that I will post it on my stories. But if I haven't, then don't not, then, uh, I just remember being like, no, thank you. I literally wrote, no, thank you. <laughs> I was like, I don't know what to say. <laughs> right. Like this is yeah no it's it's really uncomfortable it's really uncomfortable to be like I guess so sure pray for my success in life why not but it's yeah I mean in that situation I probably would have been like yes honey please just why not like it'll make her feel better I guess but why should I be trying to make her feel better it's just as awkward as like you asking like you're just assuming that I can't it's just like uh that's uh, yeah Yeah. like just I mean like either way I, yeah. I if I, I would start listing the things that I would never discuss with a human being like what plumber do you have I, I don't that's not a topic that comes up into conversation or like do you prefer like soda water or not water that's not really a topic that I would just like ask someone randomly you know what I mean like 
uh, there are so many topics that we just, right. and then there are the more inappropriate topics, like what size bra do you wear? I just would never ask you that question. I just don't think that would come up in the conversation. So I just think we can add, are you pregnant to that pile of things that we just don't really talk about? And maybe it's because they're terrible. Maybe it's because they're just, they're so, so doesn't matter. They're so irrelevant. Like, yeah, no, it's, it's really true. I am so glad that we have established that once and for all, even though it was already established, but anyone who needed to hear that, um, congratulations, you've been told, don't, don't ask anyone that. Um, it's inappropriate on every single level. Thank you so, so much for taking the time to speak with me today, Hadassah. If somebody wants to learn more about you or see more of what you do, where can they go? Uh, to Instagram.com slash the real Hadassah. And it's, yeah, I have, I have. Oh, yes. And we will link that in the show notes so that people can uh, get right there, right to that. Uh, last thing that I ask everyone who comes on the show is to you, Hadassah, in your personal life, in your professional life, in the way that you move around the world, what does it mean to you to make an impact? Oh gosh, that's such a good question. Um, I think there's so many different ways of making an impact. So it's like sort of a hard one to tell, but I think it's when someone does something good and that deed that action that mindset was triggered by perhaps something that you have said or done etc that to me is making an impact when someone can when someone doesn't just like the action that you've done but they've actually recreated it in their own life um that to me is what making what making an impact means that is amazing thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today all right this was a pleasure have a good one thank you for listening today you can access the show notes by swiping up on the cover art there are links to some of the things that Hadassah mentioned there check them out let me know what you think to hear more episodes subscribe or head over to impactfashionnyc.com slash blog slash podcast while you're there feel free to check out what's new in the world of size inclusive modest fashion if you enjoyed this episode and want to help more people hear it leave a review with your favorite part from this or any other episode it makes a real difference. The episode art was designed by Michelle Moses. Original music composed by Nissan Fetman. This episode was produced and hosted by me, Rifki Itzkowitz. Catch me on Instagram and Facebook at impacts.fashion.myc. As always, here's to making an impact together.